I suspect that you've noticed that uh, all of our hymns this morning are very Christ-centric, as should always be our worship in the Christian community. Uh, in, in many ways, the message that I seek to bring this morning may very well be the most important single sermon I've ever preached from the pulpit of Wesley Memorial Church. So I hope, I pray, that the Spirit will give each one of us ears to hear what's being said today. And I, I hope and I pray that I will only speak those words that the Spirit would have me speak. Our text for the morning comes from the New Testament letter. It's actually a sermon to the Hebrews. It is a letter in the New Testament from which we find some of the most exalted language concerning Jesus Christ that is made available to us in the New Testament. So I'll begin reading this morning in chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The author said this, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son. And the Greek literally says, the son. He has spoken to us by the son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He, Jesus is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he, Jesus, sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for our sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Friends, would you pray with me? Lord, we know that our life in this world and our life to come is dependent upon us knowing who you are in Jesus Christ. Lord, may we hear your word today, may we receive your truth today, and may we have the courage and the grace to adjust our lives to your truth. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will give each one of us ears to hear what you're saying to us today. Help each one of us, God, to evaluate our relationship to your Son, Jesus Christ, this morning. And we pray that you'll claim us. You'll come and take greater possession of us than we've ever allowed before. We pray, O oh God, that Jesus will become Lord over every, every area of our lives. We pray, God, that the world around us will know that we live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We pray that the community and the world around us will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is Lord over Wesley Memorial Church. 
We seek to be your people. Give us the grace, the courage, and the faith to live as your people. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. As you probably know, we are in the second sermon of a sermon series for the summer where we're looking at basic Christian convictions, basic Christian doctrines. We're using the Apostles' Creed to help us learn more about what it means to be a Christian. What we believe matters. What we believe matters because everything that we'll ever accomplish, everything that we ever do, will issue forth from what we believe. So we need to be careful about what we believe or what we have not believed. We live in a society, we live in a culture that for the last hundred years or so has increasingly and more powerfully taught us that truth is subjective and truth is relative. In other words, our society around us thinks that you can have your truth, I can have my truth, they can have their truth, and that's okay. Our society around us teaches us in many different ways that all opinions are created equal. Our society around us seems to imply most of the time that it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about what you believe. But the Christian faith has been clear for 2,000 years that you might be sincere, but you might be sincerely wrong about what you believe. As Christians throughout the history of our church, we've always believed that there is objective truth. There is objective truth. It's not up to our decision or our experience or what we vote into vogue at any particular point in history. As Christians, we believe that truth is an objective reality. And most people know that if you push them hard, hard enough. They don't want truth to be an objective reality, but most people understand that 2 plus 2 cannot equal 4 for you, but 2 plus 2 equals 5 for me. All truth is not subjective. All truth is not objective. You cannot have your truth, and I have my truth, and they have their truth. We believe that there is something called truth. In the Christian community, obviously, this should not startle you. We believe in God. But we're more specific than that. We believe in a God who has spoken. We believe in a God who has revealed God's self to us. Not just a belief in God. You remember what the book of James in the New Testament says. Even the devil believes in God and trembles. But we believe in a God who has spoken. And we believe this God has revealed to us truth has revealed to us the truth about himself. We believe that truth has been revealed through the scriptures and that truth has been summarized for us in the Christian community through our creeds. And when you look at creeds like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, the 
the vast majority of all Christians throughout the vast history of the Christian church in all times and in all places have accepted those creeds as truth. So we're using the Christian creed, the Apostles' Creed, to help us summarize what we believe as Christians. And we use the Apostles' Creed because that is the oldest creed in the church. It really doesn't go back to the apostles themselves. We've never claimed that. But it goes back to the apostolic faith that the earliest Christian community professed. The Apostles' Creed goes back to the second century. It came from around the geographical area of Rome. You'll notice as we study the Apostles' Creed, most of you probably know it pretty well, it's probably been the summary of your faith for a long time, if you've been in the Christian faith for a long time. But you've perhaps noticed that the Apostles' Creed is composed of, of 12 different phrases or articles. Some people think that's one phrase or article for each one of the original 12 apostles. But we are convinced in the Christian community, have always been convinced in the Christian community, that truth for us has been revealed by God, from God, and we find it in scriptures and we find it summarized in the great creeds of the church as we sought to, to elucidate what we find in scripture. Every sentence, every phrase that we find in the Apostles' Creed comes from the Bible. Last week we began our sermon series and Pastor Melissa did a tremendous job of starting us on this summer journey of studying our basic Christian convictions. Last week she talked about the analogy or the example or the illustration of that game we used to play as children called the telephone game. You know, sometimes we did it at birthday parties. We would, we would sit around in a circle, and, and I would whisper to the person beside me, and that person would whisper to the person beside him or her, and so forth, until it gets to the end of the line. And then we would see what I had said eventually becomes as is passed along through the telephone chain. And if you played that game, I'm sure you remember that there have been times where there's somebody playing the game who intentionally introduces some new information as we pass along what we're passing along. Now, I, I'm, I'm not going to be politically correct right here for a moment, and I'll, I'll say this. In the Christian tradition, as we pass along what we're called to pass along, if someone introduces something new into the transmission... We have a name for them. We call them heretics. We call them false teachers. We are called, and the scriptures are very clear, we're called to just pass on what we have received. The Apostle Paul says that very clearly in 1 Corinthians 15. He says to the church at Corinth, I'm just passing on what I've received. Those of us who are ordained to to word, order, and sacrament, we are ordained to preach the faith of the church. That's one of our vows. We're ordained to preach the faith of the church. We're not ordained to preach our opinions. We're not ordained to make it up as we go. We're not ordained to just bring our mood and our present set of mind into the pulpit every Sunday. We are ordained to pass along 
what we've received. And we're very clear about that in ordination. It's the faith that is contained in the Old and New Testaments of the Scripture. So we are not to pass it along like you would be playing the telephone game. But again, to go back to Pastor Melissa's analogy from last week, it's more like an echo. What we say should be repeated exactly as we've said it. We need to pass it along with a great deal of accuracy. Accuracy, And one of the reasons we believe that we have done that for 2,000 years is because the Spirit can guide the church. The Spirit can protect that transmission. So we should be echoing, is all we're called to do, echoing what we have heard, echoing back what we have heard. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for echo has the same root as the English word catechism. And perhaps you know what a catechism is. Uh, we Methodists have not had one for about 140 years. A catechism is one of those tools that teaches the Christian faith. The way we've done it historically is uh, it's a question and answer format using the Ten Commandments, using the Lord's Prayer, and using the Apostles' Creed. And the question and answer format teaches what we as a Christian community believe. I was in a meeting of Methodists a week, week ago Saturday, and I was thrilled to learn that there was a group of Methodists right now working on a new catechism for the people called Methodists. We haven't had one produced since the 1880s, but it is definitely time for a new one. Yesterday, we had our virtual annual conference here in Western North Carolina. It was still virtual this year because of COVID. It's our second year being a virtual annual conference. Our bishop, in his sermon to us, Ask us, ask the clergy, ask the delegates to annual conference to preach the Jesus of the Scripture and the creeds. You know, I'm so glad he said that, but it's a little sad that we have to be asking our clergy to do that, to preach the Jesus of the Scripture and the creed. We need to be careful, particularly in this age, we need to be careful about our terms, about our words. A lot of our words are used by a lot of people. They don't always mean what we mean. For instance, a lot of people, even within the body of Christ, will talk about God. Now, when they talk about God, they mean higher power, spirit of the universe, the force, supreme being, the man upstairs. And God is certainly all of those things, but God is so much more than that. In the Christian community, when we say God, we talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When we say God in the Christian community, we mean Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we're very specific about what we mean when we say God. It's not just the man upstairs or the force or the higher power. It's that, but so much more. We believe that a Trinitarian God has been revealed, Father, Son, and Spirit. And I remember way back when, when I was in seminary, there were some voices at that point, and they're still out there, who think that we shouldn't use the word Father because it's so masculine. 
And of course, the word son is so masculine. And I remember way back then in seminary, a sermon that was preached by Tom Lankford, who was one of the greatest theologians our annual conference ever produced, one of the greatest theologians that taught at Duke Divinity School, and I had the privilege of sitting under his teaching. I remember Tom Lankford preaching a sermon in the chapel one day. And it was a wonderful sermon, though some people got up and walked out during the sermon. It was a wonderful sermon. And what he said in that sermon is, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. That's sort of the popular language for some people. Creator, redeemer, sustainer is not an appropriate or adequate replacement for father, son, and spirit. Because father is creator, but father is so much more than creator. Son is Redeemer, but Son is so much more than Redeemer. Spirit obviously is Sustainer, but the Spirit is obviously so much more than Sustainer. So in the Christian community, when we say God, we mean something very specific. We mean Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a God who has been revealed, a God who has revealed Himself as Trinity. There are people all over the world that will use the Bible. They will use the Bible and they will even appear to be preaching from the Bible. But if you get them to define what the Bible is, one of the definitions I tend to hear fairly often is that the Bible is a fallible human record of people's experience of the divine. I'm, I'm glad here at Weston Memorial Church, as part of the historic church, every Lord's Day, we profess that this is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. That's a long way from just a fallible human record of people's experience with the divine. When we say Bible, we mean something very specific about that collection of books. So we need to be careful how other people, even people within the Christian community, use our language. When we think about human nature, we Christians are very clear. We have been for 2,000 years how we view human nature. All humans are born in need of Jesus Christ. That's why we baptize infants. All humans are born in need of Jesus Christ because human nature is flawed, human nature is bent, Human nature is in need of redemption. And we're so glad that God has done everything that's necessary for us to find that new life in Jesus Christ. Now, there are many voices in our culture today, even within the church, who will not acknowledge that human nature is something that needs to be redeemed. They want human nature to simply be affirmed and celebrated And, you know, and I tell those people on most days, I don't affirm me. Because I I have an understanding of human nature that fits the historic faith. We all need Jesus Christ. He's not just a good option to add on to our already full life. Human nature being what it is, is in desperate need of redemption and grace. And we're so grateful that Jesus has given us that. And speaking of Jesus, a lot of people will talk about Jesus. Jesus is popular with a lot of people. But for a lot of people out there, Jesus is a great teacher. 
perhaps their chosen guru for the spiritual life. Even the Islamic world will say Jesus is a great teacher, a great prophet. But we're very specific as to who Jesus is. He certainly is a great teacher. I do hope he's your guru for the spiritual life, but I hope he's a whole lot more than that. The people who just see Jesus as a great teacher or guru of the spiritual life, uh, they tend to really love the historic Jesus and they tend to just be really grateful that the historic Jesus hung out with a lot of marginalized people on the edges of society. And all that's true, but that always falls a little short of declaring the full divinity, the full deity of Jesus Christ. And we in the Christian community historically have been very clear about who Jesus is. That's why I joyfully stand every Sunday morning and say, I believe, I believe in Jesus Christ. He is God's only Son, our Lord. And many of you join me with that. I hope that you know exactly what it is you're professing when you say that you believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Jesus, that was His proper name. That was His given name. It comes from the Hebrew word Yeshua. It means one who saves. And Jesus saves us in so many ways because of who He is. Jesus Christ, the word Christ, Christ is not His last name. Christ is a title Christos is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah. Christ or Messiah means the anointed one. Jesus is anointed to do a special task by God. He's anointed to save, salvage, deliver the human family. And he does that in a marvelous way. I believe in Jesus Christ's only son, our Lord, his only son. God's only Son. We can be children of God through faith in Christ, but we'll never be a child of God like Jesus is. Jesus has a unique relationship with God. There'll never be another Jesus. Jesus has a unique relationship with God, His only Son. And to call Him Son says something we've said for 2,000 years about the nature of this Jesus. That's why particularly the Nicene Creed, it goes on and on to say he is of the same nature as God. He is of of the same substance as God. You see, Jesus is just a chip off the old block from God. So to say that he is God's only son declares a unique relationship and declares that he shares the same nature as God And then you see that the creed says, our Lord. Now, when you hear the word Lord, don't think about Parliament in England. Don't think about British government. In the British world, there are human beings called Lord. And that just means that they are a degree above all other human beings. There is in Parliament a House of Commons and a House of Lords. But when you hear the word Lord, anytime we use the word Lord in the Christian tradition... We use it in the Jewish sense. We use it in the Hebraic sense. When you look at the Hebrew Bible, when you look at the world out of which Jesus and the early church came, the word Lord was used for one person and one person only. Adonai, that's God. 
So throughout the Hebrew Bible, you hear God being referred to as Lord. And then all of a sudden, here are these Jewish followers of Jesus in the first century saying this Jesus is Lord. Doesn't just mean he's the best among all humans. It doesn't just mean he's the master or the lead or the head or the monarch. It means something beyond that. It declares his deity. It declares his divinity. So when we declare the creed, we're saying something very specific. We're saying something very specific. And you know, and this is where I want to make it very personal. You notice in the creed, it says, I believe. Now, there was a move that keeps popping up. It's, it's continued to pop up during the 20th century and the 21st century. There's been a move to change the creed from I believe to we believe. And oftentimes, the motivation for changing it to we believe is there are people in Christian churches who will acknowledge that this creed is the faith of the church. They will acknowledge that this creed is the historical faith of the church, but they will not say that they themselves believe it. Because like next week, we're going to talk about virgin birth. And that's a stretch for some humans in this age. But the creed does not say we believe. It starts out in the Latin credo, I believe. So I hope that when you say, I believe, when we gather in worship, I hope that you really mean that from the depths of your soul. You're not saying the creed with caveats. You're not saying the creed with your fingers crossed behind your backs. I've always been a little fearful that when we participate in ordination at Lake Junaluska, some people are taking their vows with their fingers crossed behind their backs. So I, I believe, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. I have staked my life in this world and in the world to come on this conviction as to who Jesus Christ is. The most important thing that we need to know, the most important center of our life, the most important motivation in our life is who we believe Jesus Christ to be. We sure don't want to be self-centered. We don't even want to be family-centered. The greatest thing we can ever offer our family or anyone else is our own vibrant faith. In Jesus Christ. I have staked my life upon the claims of Jesus Christ. As presented in the scriptures. As professed in the creeds. One of my oldest Bibles. A Bible that I received soon after I became a Christian. About 40 years ago. Is an old King James version of the Bible. And, and in one of the blank pages in that Bible. I, I, I wrote years ago what I believe Jesus to be. I wrote in, in that Bible that for sinners, He is a gracious Savior. For the weary, He is the great burden bearer and giver of rest. For the lost, He is the way. For the ignorant, He is the truth. To those trapped by death, He is the life. To the confused, 
He is the wonderful counselor. To the lonely, he is the constant companion. To the sick, he is the great physician. At the beginning of life, he is our alpha. And at the end of life, he is our omega. I know that Jesus is all this and so much more. Because I believe in Jesus Christ, His God's only Son, our Lord. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to finish this message in each one of our hearts. I invite you to pray with me. God, we pray that we will bring all of our life into submission to you. I pray, God, that we will not direct our lives by what we do not know. I pray, God, that we will not direct our lives by our doubts or our skepticism, but we will direct our lives what you, upon what you have revealed to us to be true. Like many of our ancestors in the faith for 2,000 years, may we live and may we die holding to this conviction as to who Jesus Christ is. And Lord, there's a lot that we don't know about life because there's much that you have not revealed to us about life, but you have revealed enough to us to follow Jesus Christ, to give our very lives to him, to serve him completely in this world and in the world to come. So God, I pray that you'll finish this message in each one of our hearts. May we never just add Jesus to a full, busy life where we can fit Jesus in, but may Jesus Christ indeed be Lord of our lives. Take us. May we offer to you more than we've ever offered to you in the past. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.